Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Donovan. Uh, just a challenge as you listen to uh, what the search committee had to share. These are incredible people. I know every one of them, and uh, there isn't any one of them that I would entrust many of the things that are precious to me with them. I believe they have listened and heard God. The, the thing that I would ask you to think about today, and even as we look at the scripture today, I think I don't know anybody who is not somehow affected by their own traditions and the way that we grew up and the way we all put this puzzle of life together. We seem to interpret everything through the grid. We read scripture and we interpret it that way. We, we have in our mind uh, what uh, a senior pastor should look like. We even have in our mind that there should be a senior pastor. And we kind of just kind of lock things. We hear things through that grid. I'm going to ask you, uh, even in the message I shared today, but I want to ask you, as you pray and you get on your knees and you pray for the decision that God's will and his, uh, his ways might be done in this congregation through the lives of those people, that you lay before him an open slate and you say, oh, Lord God, thou knowest. I, I bring to it so many different things and so many different bias and stuff. And so let him uh, kind of direct your heart where to go. I believe he's done that. And in doing so, sometimes we get uncomfortable. And uh, I know that when I study the word, it's easily for me because uh, the topic today, I probably had this, I'm a little bit ahead of the other guys I assigned to preach because I know what I'm preaching way before they do. And uh, so I've had two or three months to just think about some things in this passage. And, and my, first, my first inclination when I read the scripture is, I've read this for 46 years. So what am I going to get different out of reading it again? Uh, every single day there's something I read, and when I stop and I be able to say, God, what are you wanting to show me? It is not only amazing, but it's scary sometimes what God will challenge you with. And I'm going to ask you today, even as we look through this, uh, as you ponder and pray for who would be kind of a, a team to help lead and guide, and by the way, if you didn't see that picture, it, it, you didn't get to see all the details of it, you're all in that picture. You're all in that pool. This is your body. We have one head, and that is Christ. And we all have our unique gifts. And you may say, I don't have any idea what my gift is. Well, you've got one, and you're needed just like anybody else is needed. So open your mind and take this ride. It's kind of a journey. And uh, if you haven't realized now... Uh, uh, life, uh, got to be kind with it, but lately life is sometimes just not that fun. It has a lot of hardships. It has a lot of things that hit you, a lot of things that knock you off your feet. I think it can be filled with an essence of joy because of his presence. His name is joy. And, and in the midst of that, uh, there can be a lot of things that, uh, that can be challenging. But I do believe that uh, the ride is quite a ride, and it's quite a journey if you'll just allow God to lead where you go. Last week and the week before, Pat and Nick talked about the, we've, we've heard many names called the second coming, the return of Christ. Uh, uh, we, we've got a lot of different things. And, you know, there's so many people, if you go on the television especially or on the on the news, you'll hear everybody talking about the last days. What are the last days? Some people are, are say they're specialists at the last days. 
You know, I would hate to call myself a specialist at the last days when Jesus said he doesn't even know when they are. So what kind of energy do we spend going to predict something that not even the sun knows? I think if you would gather what both Pat and Nick were saying is love God and respond to his love to others. That doesn't change whether he comes tonight or he comes in 2,000 years. And, and so I think for you to realize what are the things that we can put our efforts into? What are the things that will actually make a difference in your life and change the course of your life? Today is one of those messages, for me anyway, it has built upon uh, something in my life. Now, I did not pick this message just because it sounded like the last three topics I got. It just landed on me. So we're doing kind of a continuation of the widow's might, and we're going to pick up from here and see if you guys will walk through this with me. If you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we're going to look at the first 11 verses in this book. Now the Passover and the unleavened bread was two days off and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, we can't do it during the festival lest there be a riot of the people. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, Reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster box, a vial, of a very costly perfume of pure nard. She broke the vial and she poured it over his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her publicly for this. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me. The poor you're always going to have with you, and whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you don't always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. And Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray them. And they were glad when he, they heard this, and they promised to give him money. And they laid, and they began seeking then how to betray him at an opportune time. Sometimes when we read the, the scriptures, they seem that the stories are good. We seem that they kind of are kind of way out here a little bit. And so it's real easy for us, I do this quite often, I think how arrogant of you to go ahead and say this and get mad at this gal for pouring this. But it, an illustration kind of hit me, and uh, I was talking with some friends of mine, and uh, I want you to kind of take some liberty with me. Those of you that have not been here over the last a few years, uh, we had uh, another pastor up here. His name was Steve, and he recently died uh, a while ago of cancer. And let's say that you went to the funeral. And uh, as Steve's life, uh, Steve actually uh, was buried in a pine box uh, by his choosing. But let's say that we had somebody in this congregation that made a lot of money. 
made a whole lot of money. And the person just decided, you know what I want to do? I'm going to take and I'm going to spend $1 million of pure gold and I'm going to make a solid pure gold casket and we're going to bury Steve in this million-dollar casket. And the rumors, as people love the talk, it just kept going around and pretty soon says, that casket cost $1 million. Is there possibly a thought in your mind, I mean, if, if you really heard this, is there possibly in your mind a thought that said, why waste a million dollars on that? You know what we could have done with that million dollars in this congregation? Now, I know none of you would think anything like that. <laughs> I thought right away about that. I already knew where we could spend close to a million of it. And it, and it challenged me. We have our own preconceived ideas, and, and sometimes we don't like to break out of traditions. And, and, and there, were some, there were some people that they, uh, th there were some that were being deceptive because they wanted the money for themselves. They wanted to sell and keep it for themselves. But there are others that just, it makes co common sense. Why, why spend all of this? Now, just so you know, the lady that came, uh, there's three different episodes, and, and, and it's hard to tell why in the world back in Matthew that they didn't tell you this was Mary, uh, Martha's sister. Uh, here they just say a lady came. Now, I don't think necessarily there were two different situations because the money was exactly the same amount, 300 denaro, which is a full year salary. So when you guys are doing your taxes right now, your full year salary was poured out over his head. He took all that she had for that year and extravagantly poured it out. Over the top of the head, down over the beard, which was symbolizing all through Scripture this was done at times. And it was done for a number of reasons. The, the main thing we see is it was done to, to remind us that someday the oil that represents the spirit of the living God not only will be poured out over, but it will be poured in you and will flow outside of you. And so what happens when they poured it over the head and it, and it came down over the beard, it says that when this happened, it was a beautiful thing. And there's a verse that says, how beautiful it is for brothers and sisters and friends to live together in unity. It's like oil poured over their head, rolling down over the beard. And they go on and said, even the beard of, of Jacob. And they went on down. And then Jesus, when he saw it, or, or God the Father, when he saw it in this psalm, says, wow. Wow. Life forever is the blessing I pour out on you. And there's a lot mixed in that, and that is basically a reminder, and this is what was happening. She was preparing Jesus for burial, so she poured this alabaster box. Didn't make much sense. She didn't know she was fulfilling a prophecy. She didn't know what this was all about. And I want you to note something here and, and uh, that you can kind of see what in the middle and in, in, in tucked in this whole portion of Scripture, once again, in the middle of the Scripture, if we just take the deeds and what she did and take the kind of the, the, the way it's related to the other topics, we are going to miss the inside nugget of this, which is the relationship that God wanted them to have with him. She didn't know what she was doing. She had no awareness of it. 
Now, they were all saying, hey, we could give this to the poor. The poor, he says, you always have with you. And in, in, in light of that, sometimes it doesn't even take us a moment to think about writing out our little gift. When we pass a little gift here, or maybe when somebody calls you and they have some orphan children, you write out the little gift. You just write it out because, you know, this is what you always do. You give to the poor, you give to the church, you give to, and you write these things out. You can write out that check, write out that number, and never have a relationship with God doing it because it's just what we do. We just give to the poor. And he was basically saying, listen, the poor are always going to be around. Do you have any idea who it is that is sitting here before you? Do you have any idea of the person, God made man, that is before you? And I ask you today that you all have an alabaster box. Everybody does. And I ask you, what is your alabaster box? Think outside the box as we go through some of these things. And you say, yeah, but they were with Jesus. Well, do you know that he said that, you know, I am with you right now, and I, am, I can be with you all the time, but you should be rejoicing because I am going to go away, and then not only will I be with you, I will be in you, and I will be in each one of you, and therefore, whenever you see the body, you are seeing me. If you no longer written on tablets of stone, but now my life will be written in human hearts, that uh, if you have seen them, you have seen me. He goes into Matthew 25 and he says, uh, I was naked and you clothed me. I was po poor, you gave me money. I was hungry, you gave me food. And you said, well, I never remember seeing that. And he says, that what you do to the least of my brethren, you are doing unto me. We have the opportunity right now to pour those things back on Christ. Now, I'm going to get into that in just a minute of what that means and the challenge for us, but I want to have you absolutely make no mistake about something what I think is one of the hidden things in here. And the way that I think we can do this best is let's just let Jesus tell us what this means. I believe you cannot separate the union, the relationship, the oneness that you and I have with Christ from pouring out the alabaster box of oil. You cannot separate them. They cannot uh, exist apart from one another. Not only a few nights before this, in John chapter 15, he says this, Abide in me. Make your home in me. Unite with me. Become one with me. And I will abide in you. And I will become with you. As a branch cannot bear any fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, I will then abide in him. And he will therefore bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So abide in this love. You see, the picture he is telling them is this. If you will abide in me and make your focus to go ahead and hook in and see who it is that inhabits your life and abide in you, you will bear fruit. You will pour out alabaster boxes on those I ask you to. If you don't abide me, you will be unable to do it. Now, you might do some acts of service, but they're not going to be fruit. And so he's saying they, they coexist together. They only work together. 
I have had so many different times and opportunities for the last 36 years to counsel with people, and I, I get the honor and sometimes the terror of talking to people about their marriages. And uh, numerous times, I cannot even tell you the amount of times that people come in and the husband and wife are ready to just totally separate. They're at each other's throat. And one of the things I asked them to do is I said, would you, would you give me a rundown? And I asked him separately so that I can get a full picture. I said, give me a rundown of what your day looks like. Uh, normal day, a normal week, a normal month. What's it look like? And so often I will hear this. Uh, the husband says, well, I get up at 4.30 uh, because I want to do some type of exercise. And I get up at 4.30 and I shower and clean up. And, uh, and then he'll go on and say some of the things he does. Then I head off to work and I go to work and I have a break, a half hour break. Normally I'll bring my lunch because it's sometimes I don't have the amount of time to do that. And then I will return home probably 7 o'clock, maybe 7.30. Uh, we'll help uh, sometimes put some of the kids to bed, and then I'm, we're so exhausted, I'll go to bed at 9. And I'll ask the wife, what does she do? And she'll say, well, uh, my husband gets up at 4.30 and stuff, so I've got to be there with the kids and stuff. And so I will go ahead and, and uh, try to get some things done around the house. And then what I'll do is I'll head out about 9. I'll have uh, drop the kids off, and I'll go uh, do the things that I do or work or do the stuff here. And then I will come home. And my husband usually comes home around 7 so he can get some of the food there. And I'll maybe come home around 8.30 or so. And, uh, and then we're so exhausted we hit the bed. And I said, and you want me to help you get along. Am I, am, I, am I missing something here? So you guys see each other on an average of possibly 45 minutes a day over some kind of business, and you wonder why your relationship is not doing well. You know, it's really weird. They never thought of that. They never thought of that. I used to think something was quite crazy with my wife because... Uh, Men, men are apt to miss this way more than women. Uh, when I was playing baseball, I, it would demand me being gone sometimes. We'd travel, and, uh, and I'd come back maybe after three-week uh, tour. And uh, tour, that's music. I, I don't know what they call it in baseball, but we'd travel. And I'd come back, and, of course, I hadn't seen my wife, and I'm just ready to embrace her. And she says, oh, I don't feel like I know you. I said, I'm your husband. And she goes, I just, I just need to reconnect. I need to reunite. We need to sit down. We need to talk. Now, some of you women understand this. Men still scratch their heads on this deal. And I realize it just takes time to get to know one another and to refresh that. And the thing that happens is it continually evolves and changes. And I'm asking you this with your relationship with your true spouse, Jesus Christ. What does your normal day look like? Are you able to sit quietly before him to listen to his compliments of love, to feel held by his powerful words? Or do you just run a busy day and then maybe that little bit of time where you go ahead and you, and you say a blessing or something? Now, I'm not here to put condemnation on you at all. 
God loves you no matter what you're doing. You can't change that. God says this is on his part. You're one of his children if you have come to know him. That isn't going to change. But you see, I'm married. And that's not going to change whether I spend time with Nancy or not. But if I do not spend time with Nancy, I will have no idea what blesses her. I will have no idea what blesses me from her. And I'll have no idea what it is God's wanting me to do in terms of my love towards her unless I spend time with her. So even if we're done here today and you, you walk away and you, and you don't remember anything, your relationship with your God is by far the most relation, important relationship you'll ever have in your life. And here's the word I have, I, and I can't plead enough for you to think about this. If you will make time for that relationship, you will know the fruit that will come out of you, and you'll know where it's supposed to go, where it's supposed to be pointed, and therefore you will experience the very love of God as he pours his love into you, and, and, and that love comes through you. It will then naturally flow out onto somebody just like this lady did, and this lady, guess what? Today we're talking about her, 2,000 years later, because Jesus said, when this lady knew my heart, knew what it was the Father was telling her, she took a whole year's salary, poured it onto my head, and every time the gospel is preached, she will be mentioned every time the gospel is preached. At the end of this in, uh, Second Corinthians, or in uh, John chapter 15, verse 11 says this, I'm telling you all of these things that if you will abide in me, I will abide in you and you will bear fruit. And I tell you this for this reason, so that your joy will be completely full. There are two types of people I have seen over the 36 years of talking with people. I don't know how to explain them. I haven't worked that out very well. But I can tell you in 36, 37 years what I have seen. There are those people that are sensitive to the Spirit of God, there's a verse that you have here written out for you in your handout here, and it's paraphrased, and it says, it has been placed within your possession a gift of love. When you find the rightful beneficiary, you have an obligation to give it to them today. There are people in this congregation, I was going to embarrass them, but I, I think there's probably just many of you, but no matter where I am with them, they are so tuned in to the people that are around them in such a way that they possess some type of a compliment, some type of a gift, some type of a treasure that God's put in their heart, and they're constantly looking for somebody to pour that on to be a container for God to come through and love through them and give it to them. And those people are usually always joyful people. Mostly happy people. Then there's another group of people that are constantly looking at what, why I'm not getting what I should be getting. Why is it that I'm not being taken care of? Somebody has something that happens, says, that didn't happen to me. And they're constantly looking at what they do not have. So their eyes are so focused on themselves that they're miserable people. And they're usually people that are miserable, lacking joy. Just think of this group just here today. If we got a little glimpse of this, abiding in the life of Christ, being therefore sensitive to knowing that God is placing within you 
a, a gift of love, and your job today is to look and find the rightful beneficiary and joyfully go and pour that onto that person. Guess what? What do we have, about 300 here? I would have 300 people looking out for me. 300. George, you would have 300 people looking out for your interests. You wouldn't have to look out for you, George. 300 people, and if you had any type of a need, if they were in touch with the Father, they would instantly know it, and God would say, there is a need here. I want you to pour this out on you. But you know what we end up doing? We all have one person looking out for us. Me. I'm trying to get what I need from somebody. You see, this is an upside-down way of looking at it, but I assure you, if you can go ahead and, and reach out and say, God, what is it that you've put in my possession? How can I somehow be this type of person that becomes a container totally ready for your life to flow through me because it will flow through me if I abide in you. I don't have to kind of force this out. It will flow through me. What does that look like? I wrote down here a couple things. I said, number one, it will start usually with forgiveness. You might need to extend forgiveness. So if Bill has offended me, and the first thing I say is, God, okay, I'm spending time with you, and I'm becoming sensitive, I'm holding within my possession, what is it that I've got? I've got an extended love of forgiveness to Bill. I would basically go over to Bill, and I'd say, Bill, would you please forgive me? I offended you in this, or that you forgive, or I forgive him because he offended me. It'll usually start there. Anybody in here that has hurt you, Maybe somebody you're living with. Maybe somebody you're working for. Maybe somebody in this church. What's offended you? It might be money. It might be gifts. It might be maybe there's a debt that is owed and that God is saying, I want you to pour that out. They're the rightful beneficiary of that. I want you to release them from that debt. Or even be like Judas who basically, he was just trying to get money out of the deal. How about compliments, words of kindness? I told you this last week, and uh, probably over the last four to five years of my life as I've been looking at Scripture, uh, and you'll find out, uh, however often I'm going to preach, uh, you'll find out that what I thought I really used to know a long time ago, it's getting kind of wiped out. It's getting reduced a lot as I grow older. And uh, you find out that there's a few things that really matter in life. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I hear repeated over and over and over and over from the, from the way back into Exodus all the way through the Psalms to the Minor Prophets, all the way through Revelation, and when people are confused about who in the world are God's disciples, how do we know which one's a disciple, which are the true ones? You hear so many different things, and he says this, what I desire in a man and a woman is loving kindness and loyalty. He didn't say, and they know their doctrine well, and they know the exegesis of Scripture and the Greek words. They said, I desire loving kindness and truth. And you know, when I start thinking of people that, that, uh, that I look at that I think reflect the very image and life of God, they're just people that are kind. And I have found that it is built in the heart of every single human being that has come to Christ. God exchanged and poured out of them a, an, an old heart and put them to a new heart that is made of love and kindness. It's within your ability to be kind. 
Even his disciples said, how do we know which ones are your disciples? He said, those that have love one for another. The word love there is not that word agape. It is the word loving kindness, love overflowing with mercy. He said, those are my disciples. So I ask you today, as you uh, leave here today, what's your alabaster box look like? Be still enough and quiet enough to realize the abiding relationship that you have with God and then be excited and eager to look for who is the rightful beneficiary to that. Now I thought, this is really odd. Two nights before Jesus is going to die, he shares the illustration of this widow or this uh, lady. He shares right before this the widow with the might. He shares also something that was just unbelievable in, in him demonstrating this. He came in the night before to his disciples. Here's the last night he's going to be with them. And he kneels down before them and he takes and begins to wash all the dirt off of every one of their feet. And it's a symbolizing thing that he's saying this. I know you're dirty because I know you. And I'm about to go to the cross and I'm about to take care of that dirt and I am showing you right now what's going to happen. And your sins I will remember never again against you. Never again against you. It is going to be finished. Telestai, paid in full. And then he ends with this. Now, as you have seen me serve and wash your feet, would you please go do likewise to those that I've entrusted to you? Would you pray with me? Father, there is so much that could be wrapped up in this little portion of Scripture. And I believe that your desire is that first and foremost, that we would find ourselves so giddy with joy of abiding with you that we would cut against the grain of a fallen world where death and sickness and pain come in, and somehow we would be able to be a reflection of your life and your love and your joy in the midst of it. And we would lift you up so that people would be drawn to you. And you said, Father, they are drawn to me by your love that you demonstrate one to another. I pray that today we would have unique stories of listening to you and responding to you. And I ask you that you would fulfill this because Jesus said I could ask you it in his name. Amen.